On this episode of Running Your Mouth podcast, I speak with Tony Smith. Tony is a runner, coach, and military veteran uh, who I really enjoyed having my chat with. Unfortunately, Jim couldn't join us for this one, but I'm sure he's going to be back for the next one. I hope you enjoy it. G'day and welcome to the latest episode of Running Your Mouth podcast. Uh, before we kick on, I'd like to do an acknowledgement of country. Um, I'd like to do that by uh, beginning by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which uh, we're meeting today. And I'd like to pay my respects to elders past and present. I'm on the Gold Coast, which is situated on the land of the Yungambeer people. And our guest today is over in Perth. He's situated on the land of the Noongar people. We don't have Jimmy Morrison with us today. He's uh, got called away last minute, so it's me flying solo uh, with our, with our guest. So I'll introduce shortly. So um, hopefully I don't balls it up too much, um, and we can have a good chat with the the one and only. Um, well, he's not one and only because there's two Tony Smiths over in Perth, but this is Tony Smith, the runner from Tony Smith Running Coaching. How are you, Tony? I'm good, thanks. And how are you, Ben? Yeah, good, mate. Good. I'm uh, like I just mentioned it's. Uh, this will be the first one I've done solo without Jim, so it's just you and me, mate. I'll just do a little bit of an intro and probably embarrass you a little bit because I, I know you're a fairly modest fella. I met Tony over in Perth maybe four years ago. Um, saw the back of him briefly before he took off into the distance at, I think it was the inaugural Feral Pig Ultra, which was actually run as a bit of a, a fat-ass event in the end due to a few uh permit issues i think but uh yeah we that was my first ultra tony and um i think you disappeared quickly and then all the rest of us fell in behind you at, at various stages of the race and then um from there i think we ran a few other events together at different times you were always at one end and i was usually at the other but even jim himself i think come over to perth at one stage and we did the light horse ultra so tony is a well accomplished runner in the Perth scene, more distant stuff. I guess from what I see these days, Tony, you're, you're pretty dialed into the marathon, but you still get into the ultra stuff as well. Is that fair to say? Pretty much. But yeah, I'll default to marathon distance or, yeah. or 50k. Anything more is, yeah, it's a little bit too long. I like my sleep. I did see a post about the uh, Bridges run coming up and they had you as uh, one of the featured entrants for the 10k. How's that going to go? That's right. I, I had a quick look back at my uh, my last 10k, believe it or not, I ran in a race within 2012. So yeah, <laughs> I've been uh, I've been dodging dodging that distance for some time. Yeah, yeah, it's just pain. Yes, yes. Yeah, so that and 40 um, minutes. Yeah, you've got it. I guess you you're always certainly in the time I was in Perth, you were coaching some people, but you seem to have um, ramped up your coaching now and we'll, um, we'll speak a bit more about that down the track, but I just wanted to congratulate you on stuff that I've seen some of the stuff popping up about the athletes that you've coached. There's been some pretty amazing improvements for some of your, some of the runners in your stable. No, I appreciate that. But yeah, my part's pretty much, mine's the easy bit. It's the, uh, the training dedication from the guys. That's what, that's what gets an improvement, not the plan that I give them, but, but no, thank you. I told you it was modest. So, yeah. Tony, what's um, one of the reasons we wanted to have a chat to you? You know, you're a really good runner and, um, you know, Jim and I know you a little bit, so that makes it a bit easier on us to have the interview. But um, is also you have a, a long military history um, over in the UK predominantly and then more recently you've done some um, reserve time here and a deployment here in Australia. Is that right? 
Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I pretty much had one job interview until I came to Australia my whole life, and that was at the uh, the careers office, and doing the aptitude test, and then a bit of a fitness test, and and then that was it. My pretty much all my work in life in the UK was in the military. Twenty four years, roughly. I had a little bit of a break halfway through where I got out for a year, and then realised, yeah, maybe I wasn't done in the military, and. Uh, the grass wasn't that much greener and then then rejoined yeah so i spent yeah 24 years in in the remi royal electrical and mechanical engineers and, and you got something um, very similar over here um which yeah do the same sort of role in the uh, australian army is it is it the same over there as the australian army where the uh or as we call them remi you call them remi because we've got the extra yep. a they all they always seem to have a good time and they always seem to do things just a bit smarter than everyone else yeah, we we like it we like it easy, but I think we we adapt quite a bit because we're pretty much we move a, around a lot more than so. If you were with an infantry regiment, you'd probably spend pretty much whole your whole career with that infantry regiment. Where in the Remi or the Remi, they generally move every sort of three or four years, either on promotion or if your posting's up, and then and you get to get to feel working with like cavalry, tanks, infantry, transport. So so you get to to work out, you know, how they operate, and and yeah, we also, I wouldn't say we were smarter, but yeah, we like we like to do things a little easier than than most. I I remember my first exposure, eighteen year old, just moved into Darwin as at the the tank regiment up there, and the guys that sort of were showing us around, they said, oh, you know, here's your room, and this is all your little, you know, version of a one bedroom um, room that wasn't an apartment, and yet shared. Uh, ablutions and those sort of things and they said i oh, will have to take you over and see the titty twister and i remember thinking what's this titty twister and all i could think of was the bar out of um dust till dawn the tarantino movie anyway went over there and it was the it was the room that all the all the all the mechanics lived in for our squadron in the in their little i guess their their living lines and they had this massive bar set up that was completely made out of empty beer cans and uh, as an 18 year old just thought that was that was probably the, the pinnacle of anyone's life being able to put something like that together. <laughs> and so from then on, I've always sort of thought, Oh, these guys, these guys know what they're, what they're, uh, what they're doing. So did you, um, did you, so did you move around a bit through different units? Did you do any, actually I saw a picture the other day. You, you did something with some mobile infantry or a light armored unit at least anyway. Yeah, pretty much. I, I was pretty lucky. I, I served infantry, served with the signals, served with the tanks served with mechanised infantry, uh, done a little bit of time with transport, a little bit of time with the artillery. So, so pretty much every, every corps or regimental type, yeah, had, had quite a bit of experience and, and they all have, uh, yeah, they all have different goals and, and different ways of doing things. And you just got to sort of fit in with their way of where things and you can just have great fun with whoever you're with. Yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of memories and stories that you you don't uh, probably want to air. Uh, you know, we've all got those ones, some good memories that are, of what, yeah. you know, that what happens on barracks stays on barracks. Is there anything, is there any one thing that stands out for you from your, your military service that you, you continually find yourself referring back to and thinking that was, you know, that's something that I'll take with me forever, whether it was a, even an event, like just a one-off moment, or if it's just like a skill set that you learned. We find that uh, talking with a lot of people that are transitioning out of the military, they sometimes struggle with that identity shift and 
um, not really thinking that they can, they've, they've got a great skill set to take with them? Yeah, it's probably just moving to that transition part that you were talking about. It's, it's, it's trying to fit into the group or the team or the network that you're working with. That's probably the most important thing and try not to, you bring all your experience and your knowledge and that sort of thing, but, but try not to overwhelm groups because feedback that I've had is um, ex-military people can be quite overwhelming when they, when they join a group and, and people get very guarded with military people because we're, yeah, we're generally, I don't know, we're quite confident in what we do and, and sometimes we probably have about 40% of the knowledge and we come across as if we're 100% <laughs> all over it and, yeah, we might just sort of, make some stuff up on the fly and yep and normally it all works out where yeah where i found that sort of civilian sort of environment they they like to plan a little bit more and a little bit more risk averse and they don't really just want to fly by the seat of their pants and they do get a little intimidated by by military people or ex-military sort of taking over i don't know if you've um, experienced the same yeah, yeah similar there's i think they're they're i found that the perception of what you might be like as an ex-military person and then what the experience actually is are quite different. But I've also found that this, those, those skill sets, particularly, I don't know, like you said, you had one job interview in your life. You know, I was similar. That was my straight out of school, straight to the army. And it was, um, there's just a, those, I guess, soft skills that aren't that soft, but the, the work ethic, the, the teamwork side of things, um, the, I guess you're always putting other people before yourself, particularly in the work environment. And I don't know whether the, whether the terms were the same over, over there, but you know, we always had this, this saying over here that if you were a, a Jack so-and-so or a Jack person yep. that you, you just looked yep. after yourself. And that was, that was almost the biggest insult you could cop. So it was the culture bred into you to put others and your teammates um, and your workmates first. And that, that's a skill set that I, I still lean on heavily today. And I think it, it, it really helps. Um, and I think guys and girls leaving their defence force that feel a little bit like they maybe they don't have a lot to offer. They've got a, a heap to offer in that soft skill set space that maybe doesn't convert to a piece of paper or a qualification or a degree or whatever. Um, did, was that, did you have something similar as far as those skills go? Yes. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, fully agree with, yeah, you put in the, the task or the, the goal or whatever. It's all about that selfless commitment where, yeah, you're just, you're just part of a team and and the actual task is the most important thing. But I also, on the on the opposite side, found that quite difficult moving to transition into a civilian job where where maybe I thought the goal or the task was the most important part. But you would have, like you, you mentioned, we call them, I think it's the same in the UK army, you're a jack or a jack bastard. Yeah, yeah it's probably the lowest lowest insult you could you could you could get and i think there's a lot more of in civilian life where people are generally looking after themselves as opposed to other people and you've just got to be very guarded that or i i've noticed that yeah other people might have different views on on what's important to them and it might not be might not be the task yeah Yeah. not not it's not all about just getting the job done (laughs) no no, it's uh, yeah. There's that money, money reward, which I think when we go back to the military, yeah, you all want a salary. If you're the same rank and same qualification as the guy next to you, you know he's getting the same amount of money. There is no bonus. The only bonus you get is a bit of sport, 
a bit of time off and, and that sort of thing. So, so the money side in, in, especially in the military is, yeah, is right at the bottom of the pecking order where I think in civilian or corporate life, that's obviously, that's what drives business. And although they have all these values and standards that they, they drive by ultimately, yeah, money is money. Revenue is sits at yeah. the top regardless of, yeah, regardless of what they portray. Yeah, it was a, it certainly is a nice feeling um, or, you know, being in the defense force and whilst you don't get paid a lot, you've, you've always got that ultimate feeling of security. That's what I noticed. Um, and maybe yeah. that offsets that whole having to look at, you know, how much someone else is getting paid. You never even really thought about it. I think if you had enough beer tickets, you were right. Yep. So with your service, and I know more recently with your, your service here with, in Australia, uh, when you're in the UK, did you have any operational deployments? Yes. Yeah, I've I've done I've done a few. I've, uh, I did Ireland, Northern Ireland. I'm not sure if the Australian listeners would know about the troubles in Northern Ireland, but yeah, that was yeah, a few, you probably have a few U2 fans that might be the yeah. extent of the knowledge. <laughs> That's it. But some counterterrorism and and yeah, Southern Ireland and Northern Ireland, and a little bit of religion in there, and it, yeah, it didn't mix very well, and then it it made its way over to the mainland. But I, I spent yeah, six months in Ireland as pretty much out of basic training. I was at my first unit, which was an Irish infantry regiment. And uh, within, I think it was within 10 months, I was uh, yeah, on a plane going from Germany back to Ireland and actually re-rolling as an infantryman as opposed to fixing trucks. So yeah, 18-year-olds. So you joined, so that was... Was that after you'd completed your trade training or was that? Yeah. So yes. You, yes. Done your basic training, done your trade training and you were more or less straight over to Northern Ireland in that country. Pretty much. Yeah. I went to Germany first to the, to the, uh, the base or the camp where the Royal Irish Rangers were operating out of. And then they were, they were about to go on a rulement tour of, um, well, they called it bandit country. It was, uh, it was down in the, um, the, the South part of Northern Ireland. And, and yeah, they didn't have enough infantrymen. They, did, they didn't need a big workshop. So they re-rolled a lot of the junior soldiers, just jumped in with the, uh, with the infantry guys and jumped into their bricks and yeah, spent six months in, in Northern Ireland and grew up pretty quick. I was going to say that would have been a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty big eye-opener at that age. Yeah. 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 And so was, that, was it all yeah, in But as we had talked, uh, pretty much, yes. There was, it was still... Uh, there was still a lot of um, a lot of stuff going on, so yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was it's pretty interesting. But we we touched back on that sort of teamwork, and you'd think that you'd maybe get looked at as an outsider coming in, but yeah, you were accepted straight away into the infantry, and you were just one of them. You might have worn a different cap badge, but apart from that, yeah, there was everything sort of yeah, you were just part of the team, which was which is sort of my first insight into that sort of teamwork. Yeah, wow. That's um, I don't I don't think we'd have anything, or we wouldn't in Australia anyway. That's really comparable as far as that, like a conflict so I guess close to home and of that um that nature. You know, especially around that time, that was one of the probably the biggest things that was in the news. Um, I remember being, yeah, you know, I was still in probably late primary school and all that was going on, and yeah, you just yeah. the way they painted it on the news over here. You think it's just you'd never want to be there, yet you'd probably found that your colleagues and that were itching to get over there like most soldiers they want to be deployed they want to 
employ the skills that they've they've been trained to trained in and, and want to use them. So. Yeah, most definitely. And so that was early on in the piece with your with your career. So you you trained to be. So did you say you're say so you're a vehicle mechanic? Is was vehicle mechanic by by trade? Yeah, and uh, I was pretty fortunate um, to go up through the ranks. And, and like I mentioned, I got out. I was a full corporal at, at my twelve year point, and it was pro- that's pretty much the make or break time, or they call it a pension trap. If if you do any longer than twelve years, you might as well stay in because yeah, the pension is. Pension's pretty good or was pretty good. Things have changed now and you've got to find a salary pension. But I decided, yeah, it looked a little bit green on the outside. So left the military. I spent a year in Civvy Street and then straight back to the careers office and and joined back up. And then I was playing catch up with all my peers because I I sort of, they had all accelerated ahead of me and it was like, I need to pull my finger out now if I want to progress in the the military. So... um, I then managed to to get selected or go on a selection course to, to become an artificer. I don't know if that. Yeah, yeah we had the same thing. The, yep. Yeah, which pretty much an 18-month full-time study course where you're yeah, quite fortunate to get an engineering degree out of it and, and some other Gucci qualifications and, and promotion from corporal straight to staff sergeant, which... In 18 months, you know, it's quite a, yeah. that's quite a big jump and quite a lot of resp- more responsibility. You're not just, yeah, the corporal in the, in the hatch, in the, in the armoured personnel vehicle. You're now looking after the whole of the section, yeah. So. Yeah. And then was there any, any more deployments followed in that stint? So fortunate or unfortunately, during that time, um, it was Gulf War One, and I was in training. So I missed Gulf war one um we then what then did we i then went to the balkan so i went to um kosovo i'm not sure if you yeah. guys yeah where so yeah the some of the stuff going on in kosovo so i spent um six months in kosovo and later on i went to bosnia and spent six months in in bosnia right. which again the balkans yeah. same same sort of issues with Kosovo and um, Bosnia, but but yeah. Apart from that, I manage. I wouldn't say dodge, but Afghanistan. I was either moving to a unit that had just come back, or um, going to a unit that wasn't going to deploy to Afghanistan. So I was you know, either call it lucky or unlucky, but I never I never managed yeah. to, to to go over to that sandy climb. Yeah, it's funny. You look at that the same way I do. In I left the I left our. Um, Defence Force here, as our commitment to Afghanistan was ramping up in 2005, and most of my peers deployed within sort of 18 months of me getting out. And initially, I thought I'd made the worst mistake of my life. And now looking back on it, it's probably been one of the best decisions I made to leave at that time because it's you know you can see the impact that that, that particularly that deployment for Australian troops is having on a lot of them now. Um, and as I mentioned that, you know, Jim, Jim couldn't make it today cause he's, he works in a role that, um, you know, he's helping a lot of those guys. So he had some stuff to tend to. Um, so with all that, so you, you've obviously, you've done your basic training, you've had a number of deployments you got in, you got out, you, you have, you know, you're now a, an ASM at some point, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, uh, one, I'll see. Yeah. Yep. And through all this, were you a runner? It was running always a constant here, or did it come later? Because just you know, when people talk about running and people's age, and they talk about your running age, 
people can probably piece together a bit of a timeline from what you've said about your military career, but I, I stalk you a little bit on Strava and those sort of things. And from what I can see, you're running better now than you, than of certainly in the, the time that I've followed you on Strava than you've ever run. Yeah. So yes, I have always been a runner. I, uh, I wasn't the most talented at school at ball sports or racket sports or anything like that. And, and yeah, I was never at the pointy end at school, but I'd be the guy, the third or the fourth guy on the team and that sort of thing, which was, so I'm not, I'm not a talented runner by any, any means. Um, and then moving into the military, uh, like you said, t- um, teamwork and, and team sports is, I think it's very important. It's very key for team building and the actual um, results are not, are not the primary goal. It's, it's that team building um, environment that you do through sport then migrates into when you, when you're doing stuff for real. And I found again, I wasn't the most talented at, and at any of the sort of ball sports or racket sports. Yeah. I could hold my own at unit, unit level, but once it started to get to regimental level or then core level or into core, I, I then, yeah, I was out of it. So I focused my efforts on running where, yeah, I could be, I could carry the pat lunch. You said the pat lunches would be cross country at the weekend or, and, and that gives you that little reward, especially in the military. If you, if you play sport or you're part of a sports team, that's how you get rewarded with the time off. You don't get any extra money like we're doing in the civilian area. You get that extra and some jollies and get away on trips and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, join. I've always been a runner, not a very good runner. And like you say, I've started to get a little bit better now, which is, which is a bit odd. It's taken me almost 50 years to, to work out <laughs> this running game. But, but, but yeah, I'm, I've now pretty much running the best running I've ever done, which, yeah, which is surprising a lot of people in the UK. They're saying I must have been sandbagging back in the UK. Yeah. Running. <laughs> Pulling out these times now, but yeah. Yeah, that's, um, I was just trying to think then, and it's obviously it would have been a little bit before your time, but um, I was listening to something not long ago with Steve Jones, the Welsh fella. Yes, yes. And um, he's from the RAF, yeah. Yeah, yeah, as an Air Force guy. And um, he was yeah. talking about his the overlap there with running and being able to, to go away and still do some of the representative running. And, and he actually took a lot of pride in representing the air force um, as he's, um, I guess as the group he was running for. And I, th- I thought that was, yeah. that was pretty good. Like that pride wasn't, was obviously as a national thing there, but also his specific, his specific uh, arm of the, the British defense force. Yes. Yeah. And that identity and it all just, it all goes back to that what we're talking about that first principles that team identity identity that yeah yeah definitely definitely proud of and and what he'd be talking about that we'd do uh we'd have a tri-service marathon championships that'd be the london marathon and that's sort of the pinnacle that as a runner you could get to you'd go and represent your service at the london marathon in the london marathon and you'd be running just behind your kipchoges and your bikilis so you'd be running in the championship start and then guys would be like maybe three or four people in front of you on the start line. So yeah. you yeah. feel pretty proud in, in your army gear, your number on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's pretty proud stuff. Yeah. That's, um, I've seen them at Gold Coast actually last year. There was that they had the ADF guys here and I, I, yeah, I don't think they were quite up that pointy end of the, the race, but um, <laughs> yeah, they did, they did make that yeah. their championships from memory. Yes. So with your with your running, so you've you've run through the through your military service with 
in in the UK. Um, yep, and that's and that's always been a constant from there. So your your running age would actually be quite uh, quite old. Yet you're still uh, what's the word? You're still, you're still improving. You know, um, yes. how what is there a have you got a secret? Like I know a lot of people talk about running high mileage, and I. I noticed that you said, I think it was last week you hit 180 Ks and you said that's your biggest week ever. Was that yeah. right? And so yeah. these that concept, was last week was, yeah. Yeah. So this concept of having to run high mileage for long, long periods of time, you know, you might be disproving that theory in the, um, in the, uh, I guess, endeavors for more longevity and that continued improvement. Is that, is that a focus or is that just how it, how it pans out for you? Um, yeah, like I say, it's taken me a, a long time to work out what works for me and we might maybe talk about the coaching a little bit later and what is that magic pill, but it's, it's different for everyone and, and until you actually find what works for you, you, you won't release your full potential. So for me, I found that volume is key for me and once I get to a certain volume, then I can match with a little bit of talent I've got and then I'm doing a lot better, but it's, it's finding that balance and everyone's different. So it's not a generic training plan and you've got to do hundred Ks a week, you've got to do 160 Ks a week. Finding that balance with that individual just to unlock and release that, that full potential. And once they release it, they just make step changes. And we go back to some of the guys and girls that I'm, you know, really lucky to coach. Once they find, once we find that balance, man, they just make, you know, they're knocking like three, four, five, ten minutes off a half marathon time, which is like, yeah, amazing stuff. Yeah, there's a couple that when we we'll chat a bit more about your coaching side of things, but um, there's a couple in particular that I, yeah, I guess I've known or know of since my time in Perth and just seeing where they're at now, this that, you know, in that three or four years, the improvement is just been crazy. But if we come back to your, I guess, back to you, so said and we'll talk more about you tony yep. so that's good the uh so you moved yep. out to australia did you move out to australia so so pretty much 2012 i i left the army again i i was offered uh, to stay on for longer and possible commission but both my wife and my son we decided that yeah it was time for a change been moving around pretty much lived all over the world and stuff and we just saw these uh, programs on the TV of, of Poms coming over and, and coming and migrating and coming and living in Australia. And it just, yeah, it looks fantastic. And that was it. We decided that's what we were going to do. So, yeah, it, I applied for permanent residence. It took probably about 18 months to do all the paperwork and then find all the evidence and go through all them, them hoops you have to jump through to, to, to come to Australia. But, yeah, best decision we made. And, yeah, 2012, we, we landed... Um, in Perth, never been to Perth before, four suitcases and, and that was us. Yeah, that was us. What made you life. choose Perth? Um, there, I think Perth actually chose us because I was getting on a little bit. WA gave me an extra couple of points for my visa. So they were the first, they were the first ones to come up, come up Trump. So yeah. And to be honest, yeah, it was, I don't know if it was fate, but we've been to most of the other major cities and states and territories in Australia now. And yeah, I don't think anything touches Perth, to be honest. I might be quite biased, but yeah, I love Perth. Yeah, it's pretty good over there. And I think um, the running scene as well, certainly the, the trail and ultra side of the thing, uh, side of the scene yeah. over there, I didn't have a lot to do with the marathon club and, the, and those guys, but 
Um, certainly Trail and Ulster crew are a, a unique and really welcoming, tight, um, enjoyable group to be around. No, most definitely. And, and so inclusive as well. It doesn't, where you are in the, in the field has no bearing as to, to where you are in the, in the group. Everybody is, yeah, is pretty humble. There's no elitism. It's, yeah, it is a real nice community we've got over here. Yeah, and you, you find that like, little things like when you're talking about a race with someone, they're not talking about who won or who did this, but who, you know, someone who's achieved something that was, you yeah. know, significant to them. So, yeah, it is, it's a really good, really good community over there. With, um, oh, excuse me. So when you came out here, you, did you jump straight into the reserve, Army Reserves here as well? Or did you have a, a bit of time mm. off in between there? No, I had a bit of a... I've done a few um, corporate jobs over in Perth and probably a little bit like when I got out of the, the military in the UK, it was, yeah, I lost that connection, that uh, military connection. And obviously my network over here was, was pretty small and met, a, met a, loads of really nice running people. But that military connection i don't know it's very hard to describe or even put a word on it but that was that that was just gone and if that's all you know and then all of a sudden it's gone you know it left left quite a big um big gap so the reserves yeah that was tricky to get into that probably took me close to 18 months to join the reserves yeah which Mm -hmm. considering i just left (laughs) active service from the uk i thought geez this you're making this hard, guys. You're making yeah. this hard for me. But, and cons- yeah. considering the experience and the, the, the learnings you could bring for, for those guys there as well, you know, 20, 24 years full-time over in the, the, British, the, yeah. French, the British Army is um, a significant amount of experience to bring to a reserve unit in WA. And so did you, did they keep you on, did you do this, did you stay in the, the, um, the Ramey space and did they let you keep your rank yeah. and that sort of stuff? Yeah, that's a... <laughs> we can edit that out if that's Look, a touchy yeah. question. <laughs> no, nah, it's just, it was, it was awkward. So for me to keep my rank and my appointment, I had to be a citizen of, of Australia, which takes four years. Yeah. Okay. So to become a citizen. However, um, for me, so I could join the reserves once I'll become a citizen, but it's going to take four years from having my permanent residency visa. But the uh, Defence Force or Australian Defence Force would only accept me in as a lateral transfer or as a transferee if I joined within four years. So there was no, <laughs> I just couldn't, I couldn't physically do it and try yeah. to explain. And so believe it or not, they sent me back and I had to do basic training again. So I went to yeah. yeah. How did <laughs> yeah. how how was that after all your experience and time served deployments, all that stuff? How was that going to Australia's essentially, you know, our recruit training with people that have never picked up a rifle, never put on a pair of boots, and then you're you you know you probably had the amount of experience of all your instructors combined um, t- trying to get through that. Did you how did you manage that? Uh, it was. It was interesting. I tried to lie low and just just play the game, but I think yeah, it was probably the end of week one that I sort of got spotted that yeah maybe I could did know my left and my right and and yeah and picking up the weapon handling stuff and and the fitness was 
was pretty much an eye opener as well. They they weren't too happy that I was beating the PTIs on the on the <laughs> runs. <and stuff. laughs> but but yeah, it was look. It, it was I just yeah I just went through the process and did it. But but yeah, it was um, it, yeah it was interesting. It was good fun though. Don't get me wrong. It was it was yeah. good fun. Though. Could, was, could you approach it? in a more fun way than you did when you were 18 back in the UK. Oh, my, you look at it definitely. and go, I know what this is all about. I know there's a game to be played here exactly. and I um, can just try and enjoy it. And, and that was exactly it. There was another um, old boy who was ex-REF um, in the same room and then we had a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old and, and we both knew what part or what stage of the game we were at and what was coming yeah. next. And, yeah, we were able to, yeah, help the guys in the, in the section and in the room to say, look, this is just a game. Do not, do not let them break. They'll just break us down and then they'll bring us back up again. Yeah. So it, yeah, it, it's, I don't know if it was cheating, but it, yeah, it did, it did help, but it was, yeah, it was a long, um, a long 12 weeks. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. The, uh, when you mentioned then it'd be good if Jim was here, actually, you're getting to tell this story, but you mentioned about beating the PDIs in PT and in the runs and those sort of things. And Jim's got a similar story, but not running related. And um, in his former life, when he used to have a beer, um, it was after a, maybe an after a unit birthday or it might even be an Anzac. I can't remember, but having a few beers up at, at the boozer at Robinson barracks in Darwin. And anyway, that for some reason, an arm wrestle competition broke out. Anyway, Jim was arm wrestling someone and then he beat them. And so one of the PDIs, young PDIs comes up, so I'll have crack and Jim beats him. And then it was like a, it was almost like one of those big Bushka dolls in reverse. So the smallest PTI had a crack and Jim beat him. He kept going until they're like the biggest PTI on the bases having a crack arm wrestling him and, and Jim somehow beat them all. And then they, uh, yeah, they basically cracked the shits and left. So <laughs> it was uh, some hurt pride that day when, a, you know, when a, just a, a knockabout, Corporal covered in tattoos from the from transport was was smashing all the <laughs> all the PDIs in arm wrestles. So nothing in people's arms off. Geez. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he could, you know, as you know, he could run as well. So um, yeah. still can. But they're yeah, they're, they're they're a precious bunch for for big strong men and women. Yeah, our no, PTIs here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and then I noticed was it last year or the year before you did, went and did a deployment up around Christmas Island and the the border patrol stuff. I've I've done that as well, so I'm interested to hear your experience and what you thought about it. Yeah, look, so uh, basic training done again, and then into reserve or reserve life weekends, Tuesday nights, and I'm not sure if you've touched or worked with reserves or if you've I can give you, I can give you my reserve experience in about 30 seconds. I, I, I got out, didn't do any, when we were living in Sydney, didn't do any reserve time. We then moved to Perth and Lauren was my wife. She was post, she was the RAP sergeant at, uh, Lewin. And I, um, I wanted to do some reserve time just for something to do because I didn't really know too many people. And I was a, I was a digger, a medic and, they, I got posted to the land warfare center at, at Lewin and the lowest rank there was all the instructors were sergeants and above. And they said, Oh, we've never had a medic before. Um, maybe you can just go and sit up in the med center and people can come and do their, you know, their annual medical assessments and stuff. And you can do all that. I'm like, okay. So I spent maybe a month of Tuesday nights sitting in a med center for two and a half, three hours on my own. No one come up, no one did anything. And I just sat there and 
thought, what's, is this what reserves is? This is, I thought they just, you did a little bit of training and everyone sat around drinking beer. So I don't think I got the full reserve experience. Um, and then I remember doing a weekend of, um, you know, BFA weapons handling. I don't even know if we did a shoot, but that, all that, just that qualification, annual qualification stuff. And, um, I remember doing a weapons handling drill and the guy, one of the instructors goes to me, can you slow down? I said, what do you mean? He goes, oh, can you slow down so I can see what you're doing? And I, oh, okay. And then he, when, he, when I finished, he goes, oh, you're really good at this. Have you ever thought about going full time? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that was it. That was, I was done. I'm like, I'm not coming back. <laughs> so it was, a, it was an interesting experience. I take nothing away from the reservists. I know it's not a, a full time job and they haven't done continuous years and years, but it was, uh, yeah, it's a different, it's a very different service, I think, to the full time service. Yeah, most, most definitely. And look, I wanted to, I'd gone and done basic training. I was in the reserves. I'd done a few weekends and it was starting to get to the point of, yeah, this isn't filling that gap, but I'm missing from the UK and the opportunity came up to go on the, yeah, on TSC or Op Resolute as it's called. And, and, and I remember putting the application in and then the application coming back with a little flag on it, um, this, this digger's a little bit old. It might be a little bit too physical, <laughs> physical for him. <laughs> and, and yeah, the, the OC sort of chatting away to me saying, look, yeah, if you really want to go and do this, you're going to have to do yeah, um, some, um, other, some other stuff. There'll be some shooting. There might be some physical stuff in there. There might be some running and stuff. I said, yeah, I'll give it a crack. So, so he went back and then we had a sort of like a selection period where there was they were only going to take say 35 diggers and we had a pool of like 45 diggers and every Tuesday night we'd parade and do something different and and yeah I managed to work my way into the through the, the selection process and yeah got a spot on the, yeah. so, on the so, trip. so they thought you were fit enough in the end <laughs> yeah when we'd done yeah whatever 5k around the oval and yeah there wasn't many people there was one <laughs> other guy who was an umpire he's a, a footy oh, yeah. umpire uh, and he was he was bloody fit. Yeah, they're but pretty fit, aren't him, they? <laughs> yeah, apart from him, yeah, there there wasn't many guys that were close running laps of the oval, put it that way. Yeah, for our um for the military people that are listening, and this is you know I guess a a measure of you know the only measure of your fitness in the army is um what your BFA time is. So what's in a, in Australia? What was your what's your BFA two point four k time? Yeah, so I took they've, they've actually got a Strava loop in. Um, in Karakata in the barracks there. All oh, right, I yeah. The, I, I took the the crown on that. I think it was, I think it was just. It was either a low eight or a high seven. Yeah, all right. Oh, I must have looked yeah. that up because there's a few. Yeah, okay. um, there's a few quick yeah. lads in the army getting around now that are they're making some waves oh. on the running scene actually. So we just uh, Jim's trying to tee a couple up to get them on for a chat at some stage, hopefully. Yeah, I think uh, someone was saying the BFA record got broken not that long ago. Okay. Uh, yeah, six. I can't remember what it was, six something. So, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. No, never, never that fast, but I think <laughs> that came from the UK because in the UK it was a mile and a half. Yeah. Sort of a BFT, a basic fitness test, and I think you guys, to you guys, did it. Well, just before I joined, it was it was two miles. It was 3.2. Um, okay. I'm pretty sure. It might even been five. Um, might even been 5K. But yeah, it wasn't long before I joined. They changed a whole lot. Of, I think they lowered the fitness standard 
Um, whether or not that was a recruiting yeah. drive, I'm not sure, but push-ups were less. The whole structure was a little bit easier for everyone, I think. Oh, yeah, sorry. We'll go, sorry, just go back a bit to the, the time on the boats. Um, did you do the Christmas Island, Ashmore Reef, Darwin, that, that back and forth? Yes. Is that pretty much, yeah. Bog laps of that. And then we, yeah. we, we managed to break down either convenient or on, uh, in Broome for three or four days. So oh, nice. that, was, that, was, that was pretty nice. And yeah, got some time ashore there. But yeah. I've got another funny story from, from the actual training for, um, for Resolute where we had to go to Cerberus. I'm not sure if you, yeah. you guys went to Cerberus. I spent, I spent six months yeah. at Cerberus doing my medics training, actually. Uh, Oh, okay. So you know it pretty well. So while we were at Cerberus and we were doing the, um, oh, what's the, the Royal Navy unarmed tactics. I can't remember what it's called. So we're doing the tactics phase where you just, you're basically throwing each other to the ground or you've got a baton out or you've got OC spray, that sort of thing. Yeah. We're on that phase. And it came up that it was the station cross country event. <laughs> and and would, uh, <laughs> would the army like to put in a team? So yeah, I'm like, yeah, come on, let's go, let's go do the uh, station cross country. So I'm going to register a few guys that I could bully into coming, and then I'm going to the PTIs, and the PTIs going, oh, all right. So we've got two events. We've got an 8K, and we've got a 5K. And the 5K is for the older boys. So would you like to do the 5K fun run <laughs> walk with the with the senior guys, and then we've got the 8K for all the recruits and and everyone else. And yeah, I did the 8K in great fashion for a cross country event got lost the marshal or the mark who was put out there was in the wrong place but i got lost another navy guy took the lead and i came in second which was which was pretty i thought it was pretty good and yeah. chatting to the guy afterwards he was a he what was he was a navy diver so i think they're pretty, yeah, they're pretty fit, fit anyway we managed to win the team event just the three or four guys that i bullied into doing it so yeah, yeah nice. they were a little bit despondent prize giving came and yeah, I got second place and I got first old bloke and then we won the team event as well. And you got the station commander there and yeah, all these army guys are winning, <laughs> winning all the prizes. Do you, so I'm not um, sure they'll uh, invite them back next year. <laughs> do you get, do you get insulted yeah. or do you get motivated by the, the old bloke tag? <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, just smile about it and just, yeah, yeah. let's you, see what happens. Yeah. I don't know if you know, um, Hunter Dodds. Do you know Hunter from yes, Perth? Yeah, so yeah, he, well, he, yeah. I run with yeah. him a bit over here now and um, he lives 3K from me. And uh, we look at, we, him and I are similar age and we look at, um, he always goes on about, um, oh, big Kev, Kev Matthews is his inspiration yeah. to think that one day he's going to be able to run quicker and, and you know, yeah. into, his, into his 40s and those sort of things. And then, and I guess I'll sort of look, look at you and think the same sort of thing. And, you know, that's, that's, that's the hope we're hanging on to, you know, we're only getting better as we, you know, creep into yeah. our forties. So, yeah. 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 I think, it, I think the uh, old bloke tag isn't something that you can probably toss around too easily in the, um, certainly in the distance in the ultra, the ultra scene. I think all their hammies would probably ping over four or 800 meters. But other than that, it's, it's, you know, you can't discount the old fellas now. That's for sure. That's right. They'll be there at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Old man strength. Yeah. I think people refer to it as. <laughs> yeah. We'll move on now from the, the military side of stuff with you, with your running. So you, you moved to Perth and you got straight into the running scene. Is that you sort of, did you find a club yeah. or did you just sign up for an event? Did you, was, I yeah, don't know if parkrun was around then, was it? 
Park Run, it, just after we got here, Park Run started in Perth, but I jumped on again. And another funny story, the first event I did here was the Perth 32, which is uh, 32 kilometers or, or 20 miles in, in UK speed. So in the UK, we're still pretty imperial when it comes to, to running. So we have 10K yeah. events, but we monitor our pace and all that sort of stuff in, in, uh, in miles per minute as opposed to Ks per minute. Um, I didn't really know anybody. I'm doing this 32K run and I'm catching up with a few guys. My watch is pinging for the lap alerts, but it's going every mile as opposed to every kilometer. And I get in with this group and I'm chatting away and we're talking. I'm going, yeah, we're doing well here. We're six minute miling. I reckon, yeah, we're going to be good for a low one, a, a low sort of two hour. And then I've got people looking at me, six minutes? No, no, we're doing four minute or four and a half minute Ks. <laughs> And then it took me a while to understand that, yeah, everything yeah. over here, we just run on the, pretty much run to Ks. And now, yeah, sort of seven or eight years later, I wouldn't even know. Um, I, I'm pretty much metric now for everything. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, yeah. yeah I'll run with a, a Scottish fellow every now and then over here, actually. He's only a young guy and he's, he's super quick, but he's the same, except he's that quick. He's talking in miles and his <laughs> mile pace is like my K pace. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Well, and yeah, so pretty much I jumped onto the marathon club scene and um, doing them events and then park run started and, and that's pretty much, yeah, that's a great um, avenue to build a running network and just a network of people that have like-minded interests. You don't have to be the best runner or even a runner to go to park running, but you just, yeah. just out there doing an outside sport and that's, yeah, that's pretty mm -hmm. good. And you're, you, you used to look like you used to get around to most park runs, but was, it, was Averley your home park run from memory? So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I, so I helped set Averley Park run up uh, with um, Dave Allmark, the guy who was the event director. So I've helped set that one up. I helped set Junlap up and another one in Wanneroo as well. I just, it's, I think it's just a great thing for community. Oh, that's running. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. Well, that yeah, I, uh, most of the guys I run with here um, haven't been here a bit over three years now. Most of them I met either at Park Run or you met them and then you you see them at Park Run and then that's obviously where the relationship builds. It's um yeah, I can, it's just such a for such a simple concept. It's the impact it has like pretty much globally now. It's just fantastic, and you can see that people are itching for it to come back at the moment. Yeah, you know, I, I actually this afternoon my kids will. They do running training, and one of the guys, one of the run directors from our park run, he's he him and his kids are down there, and he gets asked every Thursday, "Have we got a date for park run coming back yet?" So, um, there's a lot of people hanging out for. It. I think those first few back are going to be some pretty big numbers. Yeah. So with the the Perth running scene, so you you got in with the was it, you were doing most of the marathon club events initially. Pretty much, yeah. Because I think in the early days there wasn't that much trail or ultra stuff in WA. I'm not sure you probably, your era was, I don't know, Dave Kennedy and six inch Lark Hill and maybe WTS. Yeah, um, so, yeah, Dave's events and then. Series WA was, and there wasn't really a great deal. Other stuff, there was the Kep Ultra. You might have remember that. Yeah, so I missed out on. Mundaren. I missed out. I think the last year, I sort of was getting into it that last year that Kep was on. Um, and yep. then you had, um, the Perth trail series and they had a couple yes. of ultras, shorter distance ultras there. And then, yeah, Sean was just ramping up the ultra series WA stuff, which is, is huge. Now it's so heaps of races going great guns. Yeah. So, 
Um, yeah. But yeah, that's where I guess my introduction, my first ultra was that feral pig, actually the fifty k, okay. the year uh, that the, the year that you won the uh, ultra series WA series. Have you done the whole thing again since? No, no. I decided it's just too hard this ultra running. Um, yeah. I come back to marathon running. Yeah, you did. I, I, it's a, yeah. yeah. You did a, did you do Australia Day this year, 100K though? No, I did 50, 50 this year. Yeah, I've only done the 100 once. Yeah. yeah it's, and you won yeah. that from memory. Is that right? The, not this year, the 50. I didn't know this year. Oh, I no, no, the, when you did the 100, you won the 100? No, no, that oh, was you? the year. No, that was the year that I think Big Kev, Big Kev broke the record. Oh, okay. I think All I was right. second or third, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm pumping you up too much, mate. You are, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm normally the bridesmaid, never the bride. Yeah, then um, well, that was that was I was, was going to get um, getting usually I get in the gym about people that beat him, but he was actually gonna was going to get him yeah, a get bit of a gloat, gloat about yeah. glass house, uh, not glass house, light horse. So um, light horse, yeah, yeah, that was a good event. I've yeah, I miss those events over there. Oh, we've got some good events here, but it's yeah, some of Sean's ones in particular are quite unique. So so with with a marathon. I guess being your, or the more, the longer distance predominantly, I guess, road stuff up to 50K and that being your, your own personal focus, does that then feed into the, the coaching you do? Um, are you primarily looking at athletes in that space or do you, do you coach anyone from, I guess, middle distance up or just anyone who wants to have a run? Yeah, pretty much a- anyone. I've got, I've got people who are just, just progressing from park run. They maybe run, walk, park run. I've got, and I've got, I've got a guy over in Adelaide at the moment who's also forces is, is hopefully going to run under 2.30 for the Adelaide Marathon. So got a real spectrum of different abilities. Yeah. On that, this side question, can, can WA, people from WA go to South Australia back and forth at the moment? You can, but you've got to quarantine if you come back in. Wait, I think, okay, you still got to quarantine. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was looking at Adelaide and I'm thinking, oh, because I think we can travel there, but I don't know. I've got to right. suss out the quarantine rules because it's there's just been no marathons this year. So. That's that's right. We've been we're fortunate. We have got a marathon coming up uh, next next week, and then we've also got um, Bustleton Marathon um, at the end of September. So yeah, we're pretty fortunate here in WA. The running scene has pretty much started to kick back off again. Yeah, so that's the Bibra Lake next week, Chris. Bibra, Chris's, yeah, Chris Lark's race. Right. Yep. Yeah, and then the Bustleton Marathon. Marathon, yes, yeah. in you, the end of September. Is that you did that last year? Bustleton, I did yeah. the Bustleton Marathon last year. Yeah. Well, yeah. Was that yeah. another bridesmaid event for you behind? It was. Was that the one behind John? Yeah. 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 yeah, I did have a bit, a bit of an excuse. I ran a marathon the weekend before I ran PRF, and then the weekend before that I ran Berlin. So I ran three marathons in three weekends. But uh, yes, yeah. uh, not an excuse. You, but you yeah. can have you can have that excuse. <laughs> <laughs> so how was how was Berlin? Had you done Berlin before? I've been to Berlin. I've run uh, I've run a twenty five k in Berlin when I was serving there in the military. But I've never done the Berlin marathon before. But that was. Yeah, definitely. Out of the marathon majors, that's probably one of the most organised events I've ever ever been to. It was yeah, pretty much German organisation yeah. to a T. Was perfection. Yeah, it's yeah. um, I think that German engineering mentality is the yeah. new version of a Swiss watch, isn't it? They just that's, everything's that's so right. precise and and yeah. so was that 
Was that your is that your marathon PB Berlin last year? It still is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And did you find being such a like being a major and being I guess one of the considered one of the faster um, marathons that you were able to sit in a good pack the whole way? Like, was there were you running much solo or was there just did you have enough people around you at that same sort of level that it was uh, you had a pack to run with? You did the because there's so many. I think it was I think it's close to thirty eight thousand people run just the marathon. So it's a big marathon. It is seeded, but there was people in, in our pen that probably shouldn't have been in the pen. So whether or not, I think it did help me get that marathon PB that you couldn't run faster than maybe four, 15 minutes per K to begin with, because there was just so many people and the people in front were not, not running at the pace that, so it actually, it worked in our advantage because it slowed me and another guy who I went over with. It slowed us down for that first 5Ks until we found the group that we were pretty much running together. But yes, yeah. back to your question, running with just people, you probably got about 25 or 30 people around you at any one time. So yeah, it's super busy. Yeah, and it, it, makes, it makes such a difference in a, a long event like that, doesn't it? Like it's for people that haven't run a marathon and sat in a pack for as long as they can. Yeah. The, I don't know, just that you, people talk about you get a ride along, but it, I think it's a mental benefit as much as it is a physical benefit. Most definitely. That mental distraction, you don't, you've got no thinking time. You just got to, I don't want to clip that guy's heels or I'm going to the water station now. I'd need to work out how many to pass this guy. So it, your mind is always thinking about other stuff as opposed to how much it's hurting. Yeah. yeah. And is that, so the Bibra Lake Marathon, is that a, are you having a red hot crack there or is it a, a lead up to Bunbury? Oh, sorry, Bustleton? Bustleton, no. So Bibra Lake, I'll be running with a couple of the guys that I coach. So they're, they're looking at dropping some a reasonable PBs, both of them. So I'll be running with them for the first four laps and then let them guys go and see what happens. So no, yeah. it's more of a training run for yeah. Bibra Lake, yeah. And you have a red hot crack at Bunbury, is that... Is that but the next Boston race? Is, oh, I keep saying Bunbury, Bustleton. Yeah, yeah, Boston. I'm going to give Boston a, a shot. And there's supposed to be some some quick guys from the front runner crew. I'm not sure if you oh, remember. Yeah, yeah that was, another a running group. Yeah. They've got the black yeah. and green singlet, black singlets that, with the green the riding. Guys. Yeah, yeah. So there's supposed to be a few of them guys going. So, yeah, All right, Boston, should be good. The next, next crack, yeah. Yeah, so you see, I've seen quite a few Tony Smith coaching singlets popping up these days on social media, Strava, those sort of things. So how many, um, is yourself and, uh, and you've got, you've put on a, you've got another coach coaching with you now as well. Is that right? You've got Ben Harris. Is that right? I have. Yeah. 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 So Ben's come on because like we chatted about before trail running and trail sort of running and ultra running over here is now massive and, Although I'll do it and I can coach it, it's not really my passion. But yeah. Ben Harris, that's, he just lives and breathes that sort of stuff. And he is, yeah, he, he was, when he, when he came and we, we chatted together and he said he was interested in coming on board, that was just, yeah, a match made in heaven. Because, yeah, he's, he's going great guns with the guys that he's got. Yeah, if, if anyone listening wants to know a little bit more about Tony and Ben, there's a video that rob is it donker is that his name? That's right, put, yeah. put together yeah. 
about two because Ben's also an ex uh, ex uh, Australian Army guy, and the video put together for the Light Horse Ultra I oh, would have been three or four years ago. I'm assuming that's up on YouTube somewhere. We'll try and find it and I'll stick it in the show notes. It was, it was really good that to watch afterwards. Yeah. There's a few, um, I think you might even see Jimmy in there. That was, that was the year that Jimmy, Jimmy won light horse. Yeah. We can edit that. We'll edit that out. We'll edit that out. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he, I don't think he gets any accolade for, for coming first, but no, yeah. we, don't, we, don't talk, we don't, we don't, we don't talk about, we don't talk about Jimmy winning races on here. <laughs> But yeah, going back to that race, I did manage to almost unlap myself a couple of times, I remember, and then I'd see him walking along with an ice cream. I'm like, where did he get that ice cream from? And then all of a sudden, he'd just lap me again. Yeah, after he'd had his ice cream. So I'm not sure whether he got tested at the end, but I'm sure he he had some extra. (laughs) We had some friends bring up some of those Calippo icy poles. That That was it, yeah. It must have been about 10 o'clock because it was getting hot. And that was, back, yeah. that was back when it was on uh, Remembrance Day or around there. So it was in yeah. November, getting quite warm. And it was, that was a lifesaver that day, that, that icy pole. Um, so with your athletes, and you mentioned that we were talking about light horse there. Um, one, of the, one of the girls, and you know, word it out if you don't want to talk about it, but one of the girls you coach who I remember running behind for probably 50K, basically more or less the same pace at, at light horse was uh, Hayley Newman. Oh yes, yep. So back and she, um, you know, I think we were pretty there or thereabouts at the end of the day, similar sort of case we ran. And I, you know, follow her on social media. She does some really good posts and that sort of stuff. So she's, um, she is f- absolutely flying at the moment. Yeah, like she's you know, is she one of those athletes you're talking about before that's just you found what works and she's just getting better and better and better. Yeah, yeah most definitely. Look in her in her younger days and at school and that she was. She was a quality state level, possibly a national level athlete. Oh, then, okay, right. Yeah. yeah, and then mum stuff and family and all that sort of stuff, and then got back into running. And and yeah, I've been coaching her for probably I don't know about eight nine months now, I think. And and yeah, we've definitely found that sweet spot for her training and what works for her. And geez, yeah, she goes out and runs a time trial, and it's like. Yep, I couldn't run that fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's um, yeah, she's definitely taken it to the next level. The only the only problem is she's in Victoria, so all the races are all yeah all being yeah. cancelled or due to COVID and stuff. So just playing that mental game of just doing time trials is is pretty tough. But she'll hang in there, and beginning of next year when the races open up again, she'll uh, yeah. Yeah, she'll be she'll be flying in the races for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I had the Gold Coast fifty last year, which is a fifty k event we have here. It's on in December. It's stinking hot. It's along yeah. the concrete the whole way along the basically along the coastline. Um, we lined. I remember lining up for that, and I've, I've I thought I saw her at the start line, and I thought, oh, I think yeah. that's because she was. I knew she was over here, and yep. And then we took off, and she was gone. And I'm like, okay, yeah. this isn't going to be a repeat of Light Horse. So. <laughs> She's a different athlete. Yeah, she's yeah. a different athlete now. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Um, and the other one, well, there's two others actually. So most recently, um, and I think this guy was already a pretty good runner, um, but his efforts t- two weeks ago at the Birdies Backyard Ultra, Michael Hooker. Oh, yes. Yeah. That was, I was... I was watching the updates coming through on Facebook and that was, I, did, I thought, oh, this is, this, this guy's incredible. And I thought, this, you know, how's, how's someone doing this? He's just knocking them out, you know, between 30 and 34 minutes every lap. 
and looked yep. fresh every time. Like it was that he took off on his, you know, 39th yeah. lap, like it was his first lap. So yeah. he's, um, you know, he's, he's been with you for a little while now. Is that right? Yeah. I've probably been with uh, Michael for about six months now. And he's, we found his sweet spot pretty quickly and he's just, he's, yeah, he's gone from, I think he ran Perth running festival last year. And I think he was just over three hours. It might be a three Oh two. And then we did a, a time trial marathon, um, probably about five or six weeks ago around Lake Herdsman. And he ran um, low 240. Yeah, we are. So, you know, in the space of like four or five months, he's knocked almost, yeah, 20 minutes off his marathon time and running running quick. So the guy has got talent. It was, again, about releasing that that talent and then just matching it with his training. And, and a, lot of, a lot of people, believe it or not, it's not about doing more or doing stuff faster. It's actually about doing stuff slower and having that recovery time so your body can adapt to the load that you just put under it because we just yeah we tend to just smash ourselves and that we don't actually get better and we just go in that that circle of i'm not i'm going slower so i've got to train harder i've got to train faster and we just keep going around in that hamster wheel until someone from the outside can go whoa i have two days off bang oh i'm i'm feeling fresh i can go yeah so that um with michael like seeing his efforts at birdies two weeks ago was it now yeah, yeah two weekends ago um we then had our in queensland we had our last one standing yeah. event last last weekend and i was up there crewing for one of my friends who was actually cam munro who's our first interviewee yeah. and um he was super fit ready to go and and he um yeah he spent the last 15 laps that he managed to complete basically thrown up for 15 laps so he couldn't keep he couldn't get any energy in but still managed to knock out another 100k on top of that but the guy that won, it was almost identical to Michael's run. He was coming in in that, you know, between 30 and 34 minutes every lap, just robotic. Come in, go through his routine, and out he went again. And he was, yeah, something else. The other thing that this is a fellow called Ryan Crawford. And the other thing that he did two or three weeks prior, he won a 200 mile race here. So, you know, so there's, you know, we talk about, we talk about the stresses on the body and that and yeah. having to tailor for everyone, something different, you know, like I know that, well, I don't think I could run 200 miles, but I certainly know that I wouldn't be running another 250 K or whatever it was two weeks later. Um, nah. But you know, he's put the work in and he's, and he, he can handle it. So finding those sort of things with your coaching, um, find, finding those nuances for people and getting their training right. It must be quite a, I guess a bespoke service, not, it's not certainly not a, you know, taking a cookie cutter approach to, to your athletes. And with, with that, how, um, how many people do you, do you actually coach? Cause I do see you put up, um, on your, on your social media that I've, uh, I'm, I'm booked out. I've got too many athletes. I've got, I've got my quota of athletes at the moment. Um, and you know, you have a bit of a wait list, so it's really nice to see you don't overcommit or don't over, fill your books because I'm guessing that then compromises the, the service that you provide. Oh yeah. Yeah, most definitely. And I've been fortunate to be pretty much at capacity ever since I, I took it on full time. So I coach full time now. So I used to have a day job before and coaching sort of my own time, but now, yeah, I've been coaching full time now. So I have between 35 and, and 40 runners. Um, there are some overseas, some interstate. 
which, yeah, it, it has its own sort of complications as you're not able to catch up in person and stuff. So there's more goes to the internet and, and chats that way. But I've got to a position now where I'm like, I don't want to take, I could, I think I've got 15 or 15 people on a wait list at the moment. So if I was business focused, yeah, I would be signing all them guys up and making it happen. But it's, it would detract from the service that you give. And then it turns into, like you say, a cookie cutter approach and yeah, just print off one plan, send that to them and one plan, send that to them. And yeah, it's, you, you won't make the improve or the athletes won't make the improvements if you, if you take that approach and you look at top athletes, their coach, the coach maybe coaches four or five people and that's it. Yeah. And that's how then people get to where they are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, I guess as soon as you've watered down the service, then potentially water down the, the results and it's, you know, that's what, that's what people want to see ultimately. And they're paying a coach. Right. They want to see the improvement and the, their service. And one thing I've also noticed, you're probably going to get an AVO out against me soon. One <laughs> I've noticed on your social media is you, it looks like you, you get out and run with your athletes very regularly. Like it, I see that you do laps of the, the beautiful new stadium you guys have got over there. Yeah. But then also, it almost seems like every week you're out running a time trial with an athlete or you're pacing them in a race or you're, so you're very involved. It's not a, it's not purely an online coaching platform. No, that's right. And it probably, yeah, uh, I, I come, I am an online coach, but where, where I can, I will sort of time trial or I'll just go for a run with people. So, and it doesn't matter. It's not, it's, again, it's it's more about the group and the team. It's not uh, you've got to be this fast to come and run. I'll just I'll run with I'll run with anybody, and and that helps them as an athlete. And it also gives us some good quality time together while we're running to do some coaching, run coaching at the same time. So so yeah, no, and and it's and that's why I'm running silly K's at the moment because yeah, I get to double dip. I do my training and then go run with. With one of the guys that I get to, get to coach, so it's great. And the, just on, like I guess the last person that that I've and this was the first person I noticed actually with your coaching was uh, I think is it Ryan Shand? Is that his name? Yes. Yeah, Ryan. Yeah. And not he's not Ryan Shand, the uh, the author either, is it? Because there's an author called no. Ryan Shand no. that write write a lot of yeah. like stuff about the under the underworld in Melbourne and stuff. So yeah. Um, but his transformation and running improvement was just. It's one of those yeah. feel-good stories. It's incredible. Oh, most definitely. He's, he's a very determined and dedicated guy. And he's one of these, a very coachable guy. And then just once more, he's like a sponge. You just give him a little bit of water and he just wants to turn the tap on full and, and it, he'll go back and research and train and train and train. But, but, but yeah, Ryan's an, another yeah, great, great success story. And, He's just coming back from injury at the moment, but I know he'll be back super strong like he was before. Mm. Yeah, no, it's um, if you haven't haven't uh, heard or had a look at Ryan's story, um, I think he's he's done a couple of chats with podcasts, hasn't he, from memory? And he's yeah, he also the stuff up on your social media and also on his own. It's um, you know, from someone who was run walking park run to, you know, I think he was in the state marathon team last year. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, pretty impressive. Yeah. So, someone who's done it, Tony. Someone who's done a lot of running, and I'm hoping you've got a a really good story to tell us here because 
my favorite question on our show um, is, is all about telling a story about the weirdest thing that, that has ever happened to you or that you've seen on a run. Um, and I don't know if you've listened to some of the others, like the, particularly Cam's story about um, what happened to him on a run that ended up in, you know, this sounds probably worse than it is, but ended up in emergency. And um, we were laughing about that on the weekend. But is there, is there something that stands out in your mind? It's just the weirdest, craziest thing that you've seen or had happen on a run in all your years of running? Or maybe you've got a couple, I don't know. So I had a little think and I'd probably advise if you're eating at this moment or about to eat, maybe, maybe, maybe not, or maybe fast forward past, past my, my story. So mine goes back to my younger days in the British army where we were, we were on a military skills type um, exercise. And I think we'd been out maybe two or three days and then we, we came to an, an orienteering event. I don't know what, it's, I think it's called the same thing in Australia, or in Tyrion, Map and Compass. Yeah. You've got to go to so many points. It, I think they call it Rogaine over oh, here, but yeah, or, Orient. Rogaine. Yeah. 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 So Map and Compass, and I think it was either an 8 or 10K route that we had to do. Look, we're in, um, we're only running gear. We're in, we're in our army gear, and we had our issue water bowl, and then we also had issue rations, which happened to be a packed lunch. And you had that on your pack and, and that's all you had. Map and compass and off you go. As a, so anyway, I'm probably, probably 10 Ks and probably, I don't know, maybe half an hour, 40 minutes into this, into this orienteering event. And it's like, you know what? I need to go to the loo. I really need to go to the loo. And look, it's not like some of the forests over here or some of the forests you see in, in Europe. This is in Germany and it was a pine forest. So all that's around you are pine trees, Christmas trees. So, I'm looking around and, yep, I'm just going to have to go, go where I am, but I've got nothing to sort myself out with after I've been to the loo. <laughs> so open up my pack and have a look in there. And what have I got in there? Yep, I've got an apple. I've got the issue chocolate bar that comes with the ration pack. I've got a bag of chips and I've got this cheese and ham sort of curled up sandwich wrapped in glab wrap. I'm like, what am I going to use? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I really need to go to Lou. And yet, unfortunately, or fortunately, the cheese and ham sandwich that got it, and <laughs> and that got fed to the wildlife, and that just comes back to me all the time now. I just think of that timer. But yeah, I'm looking through my, my pack, and what am I going to use? And yeah, the cheese and ham sandwich got well, it. That's um... yeah, so pretty nasty, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to go down the path of pine needles and stuff, and you know they're not. Well, I did consider, but that was yeah, that'd be yeah. pretty painful. Yeah, cheese and ham sandwich. Was it toasted? No. All right. No. So it's sort of soft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's... Yeah, but not ideal for whoever found it. No, no, or but maybe, uh... <laughs> yeah, or maybe yeah. edit. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have thought we were going to get a story about wiping your bum with a cheese and ham sandwich, but yeah, no. right. See, there wouldn't be many yeah. people that have done that. No, that's pretty, I think that's, that's pretty unique. It could be a, you could have had Guinness there. That could have been a record of some sort. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Well, we'll move on from um, food anyway. Yeah. Um, the, we call this podcast Run In Your Mouth. And it was the, the idea was, and we should probably change this every week, but the idea was we wanted to get some runners on and, and talk about the, the thing that they're really passionate about. And it's not always running. Um, sometimes it is. Is there... Is it, do you still have like a burning passion, something that really 
I guess drives you just day to day life in general. That's something that you, you know, you know, those things when you, when you're a kid, you're all in on things I find. And as you get older, you, you get a little bit more complacent and you kind of, you take everything in your stride, but there's, there's those a couple of things that still really get you fired up and you're really emotionally invested in. Uh, yeah, I've had a good think about this. And I don't know. It's quite, quite a difficult one. I think as we get older, we, we get a little bit wiser. Obviously we've got a lot more life skills and, and one of the things that I'm pretty passionate about and I see all the time now is, especially um, with the computer, you get people reacting on social media. And I think people actually understanding the impact of the words that they write on social media. Sometimes there's probably no need for it. And if you don't agree with what someone says, just just scroll past it rather than just, I don't, I don't know. So that I'm quite passionate about that. And I'm very conscious now that, I won't react to stuff, yeah. especially on social media and that sort of stuff. And also in, when you're chatting to other people as well, it's, it's actually actively being involved in that conversation and, and talking to them and how they're going and not making everything about, not necessarily about yourself, but having to rush the conversation so you can talk about yourself. And, you know, there's a few runners in, in WA that, you know, I look up to and really aspire and want to be like and and they, these are guys right at the point the end that they'll finish their race and they'll come over to you and they're in they want to know how you go on and they're not even though they're just like the guy who won the Perth marathon last year you know chatting to him at their prize given and he wasn't interested in telling me about his race he wanted to know how my race went or the person next to him's race so i think yeah being more active when you're talking to people and and yeah, yeah. And not, it's not all about, it's not all about you. There is a void there, isn't there now? Like the, that, well, I think with the phones and the distraction and all that sort of stuff where people, they're not necessarily present in the conversation, you know, like it's, no. I think five years ago, if you're talking to someone and then while they're talking, they started looking at their phone, you'd be just, that's pretty yes. rude. Whereas, yes. whereas now you see it all the time. And I think everyone, even though, even people that are on the receiving end of it are going, Oh, well, they're, looking at their phone this is what people do like it's it's yeah I, I agree with you on that one actually it's quite sad but also the the other point you made about the comments people make on social media um you look you go back to that being present in your conversations and talking to people and not making it about you but no i reckon 99 percent of some of the stuff people write on there they would never say to someone in, a, in an actual conversation and it's no. Yeah, and it's I think it's a it's a bit of a blight on society in general. Um, yeah, most definitely. And it's it's quite it can be quite damaging for people at the other end. You don't realise how powerful words are. And I think I think if we had Jimmy on today, I think yeah, he's hit the nail on the head quite a few times when I've listened to some of the previous podcasts where he's talking about words and their meanings and uh, yeah, and and I think that's I'm trying to get better at it and I think if we all tried to get better and just had a little think before we start tapping away on the keyboard or, or actually just, yeah, my phone's buzzing, but it can stay in my pocket. I'm talking to this person yeah. now. It doesn't need to come out and I don't need to answer it and, or look at that Facebook post now. But yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's almost like now we've got to force this conscious action to not do the subconscious thing almost or the unconscious <laughs> thing that we just, we just do, you know, you pick something up yeah. and, you, and yeah. you look at it for the sake of looking at it. You've actually got no reason to be flicking yeah. through your phone. Um, yeah. Yet you've got heaps of reasons to be involved in the conversation with the person you're talking to, and that no, I, I reckon you link that back to running, 
and group runs and long runs and that, that they're the, the things that make them so good are that you don't, you don't have any of those distractions. You're not thinking about it and you're actually cruising yep. along doing something you like with people you want to talk to. And I reckon some, like, if I could breathe and talk at the same time, I'd, I'd rather do this podcast on a run. But, yeah, no, most definitely. But I wouldn't be doing most that with definitely. you, mate, because I'd be no yeah. breathing. I'd, I'd be doing a threshold and you'd be doing a recovery run. So, yeah. Yeah, but some of the best conversations I've had is with the guys in the running, guys and girls in the running group that I run with, because you can have, it's a genuine engagement now. It's not yep. half talking, someone's looking at their phone, someone's just buzzing. You know, the, the most, the biggest distraction you get is someone's watch beeping at the kilometre mark or, you know. That's right, yeah. Whatever yeah. it's going to get, the heart rate's too high. So, you know, we can we can deal with those ones. Yeah, and I think that's that's part of the release where I know a lot of runners say, oh, why do you run? Or oh, it's a release or it's a reset because, yeah, there's not many people that can run along and text and, and do Facebook and all that sort of stuff at the same time. So it is that chance just to just get rid of all that and just reset and just let the mind reset or calm down or even just have an engaged conversation with whoever you're running with. Yeah. You haven't got them distractions. I've even found like on the running, the running side of things, I turn, I've turned all the notifications on my watch off now. So I basically just use it like a stopwatch and then worry about the data yeah. afterwards. And even that, then it's, it's just one less distraction. So you, yeah. particularly in the, in the, like the lot group long runs and stuff that you, you can get the most out of it as far as the company or the people you're with and the conversations you have instead of just going, Oh, how quick was that K or, you know, are we going too fast? Yeah. So you just, you run and enjoy it. Enjoy the company. It's great. No, most definitely. Yeah, mate, I'm on board with that one for sure. I um, both those things you raise there. Well, they, I guess they go hand in hand. But um, yeah, I'm, I can get certainly get behind both those two, those two passions. That's for sure. Okay, mate. Before we wrap up, so we don't have Jimmy here, so we can't get the um, the big, deep, insightful question that Jim usually throws at someone. So you've dodged the bullet there. What we like to do is we like to uh, we like to find out. And I know that you're a bit of a shoe guy. Yep. <laughs> I, I've actually fired you a few questions in the past and you yep. said, oh, I've got these shoes. I'm like, Oh, how'd you find them? And, um, so what, what's your shoe, what's your shoe, um, shoe rotation look like at the moment? I can ask these while Jim's here cause he doesn't get into this stuff. Whereas I love shoes. So look, shoe, shoe technology in the last probably five or six years has made leaps and bounds and yeah, people are calling it a cheat shoe or yeah, what shoe you're wearing, that sort of thing. But, I don't know, back maybe five, six years ago, all the major brands had their own shoes and they were pretty similar. And the performance, performance gain is the wrong, it's the wrong word, but yeah. the actual return you can get from a shoe now, if you've got the right shoe on and you can run in it, will make a difference to your results. And fortunately or unfortunately, Nike are there. They've, they're probably about two or three years ahead of all the other major brands. And you'd have, you'd have seen, or a lot of the listeners would have watched, you know, Kipchoge running in the sub two hour marathon or all the guys now running in the next percent. So this carbon plate technology, it's not, a, I don't, I don't believe it doesn't make the runners any faster. It makes them more efficient for their talent or their speed. A bit like the analogy I use when I'm chatting to people is, you give someone a, a steel-framed racing bike or you give them a carbon bike, yep, it's, you need, still need that engine on that bike yep. to get the results. And it's the same with the, these shoes. Yep, you could be an average runner or even a non-runner 
and go and buy a pair of these shoes and it's probably going to make no difference. The same as if you went and bought a 30 grand carbon bike. But if you're actually trained and conditioned and then you put that 30 grand carbon bike underneath a rider or a set an X percent under a, a conditioned runner, the actual return you get back will make a difference to your performance. So yeah, I'm a Nike fanboy at the moment and yeah, that's pretty much next percent is my go-to shoe. There's a new shoe coming out in Australia at the end of this week called the Alpha Fly, which is what Kipchoge wore for his breaking two, which is supposed to be the next level up. But it's it's not going to give you that difference unless you still got to put the high guards in, but the shoe will will give you better results. Yeah, and but it's available to everyone, so it's not it's not something that's only available to certain athletes. So we can all do it, and a lot of, there's a lot of talk now saying. Oh, you got that PB, but you're wearing a cheat shoe. Yeah, yeah. that yeah, cheat. The cheat that, shoe is available. It's technology. It's it, yeah. It's yeah. like anything. Yeah, if, the technology moves on. And saying yeah. You say sorry, like, go on. I was just saying that that the whole cheat shoe thing, and you use the bike analogy, and it's spot on. Like it's everything evolves. That's that's just the the progress of our society. Otherwise, we'd still all be you know driving around in Model T Fords or something like that. Like it's, I think that whole cheat shoe is a ridiculous concept. Um, and even yeah. to the point that, you know, and they brought out the regulations around the shoes and they've just brought out the new one on the track and all that sort of stuff. You think, yeah. It's not doping. It's not, you yeah. know, there's not something, there's not a, there's not a unlawful advantage that it's, it's just a progress in the technology, you know, it's like saying, you know, the first bike to go and ride his bike around the mountains was probably on an old, you know, yeah. hard, hard, rigid steel bike. Yeah. And then you compare that to what the, what downhill bikes look like now. It's insane, you know, like it's, yeah. the difference yeah. is ridiculous. It's different if you go and throw in an e-bike, for instance, where That's there's right. a, me- yeah. a mechanical, a <laughs> motor, you know, they yeah. bring shoes out with motors in them, maybe a different story, but, but right now it's just a, a progress in the technology. So it's, right, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what drives people to other, either they're initially they were Nike haters, but now all the other yeah. brands are doing the same. Maybe they'll drop off or, Maybe, I don't know. I just don't understand why people focus on the shoe um, and go, oh, that's, that doesn't count and this doesn't count. And then I'm with you. I, um, yeah. I was late to the party on the next percent, but um, yeah, once I got a pair, I was pretty happy with them. I had a, had, a shit, <laughs> had a shit run earlier in the week, so I might chuck them on after this and go and redeem myself, get some confidence. <laughs> and you know what? It's good. I put, I put an old pair on this morning. I was running with um, one, of the, one of the girls I coach and I put a pair on this morning. We did a, a reasonably quick 5K and... It's just, it's just nice. It's like, yeah, just going and getting your best push bike out rather than, yeah, the old steel bike. It just, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So, yeah, Nike, Nike, Nike all the way at the moment yeah. until the other manufacturers catch up. Yeah, it's just interesting to see what rolls out in the next few months, you know, hopefully in the lead up to the 2021 Olympics. We'll go through all that again and see if there's anything coming to market that's yeah. actually going to compete on the marathon level anyway. Mate, yeah. we're just about out of time. I just wanted to touch on a couple of other quick questions. Um, now, you've run Berlin. I'm assuming you've run London from what you said about the, the military um, representative yeah. running groups. Um, what's, your, what's, what's still on your bucket list? What's your, if you could do one more race, what, what would it be of those that you haven't done? Believe it or not, it probably contradicts everything I've just said, but Comrades has been, I've been coaching um, a couple of guys for Comrades and Girls and 
and yeah, Comrades is, is on the list for sure. That's definitely a race I want to tick off before. Yeah, before yeah. I hang up my trainers. For I sure. think you're out of our very out of our short list of interviews we've done. I think you're the second one that said comrades. So you're in the right part of Australia anyway to, to travel over there and that's right to get there. Race, and so. there's pl- plenty of um, comrades runners here in WA as well. So yeah, it's it's yeah. In, it's one of, almost one of those um, images or logos you see now, and it's you, it stands out. Like you see someone they got a comrades hat on or a shirt yeah. or whatever, and you're like. Oh yeah, they've obviously been yeah. over there. Um, yeah. It's a pretty iconic and distinct ultra. It, no, so it'd have definitely. to be the, the biggest or the most um, famous road ultra in the world, surely. I think so, yeah, most definitely, yeah. All right. Yeah. And the last question, mate, just um, if up to you, if you have any shout-outs or acknowledgements or anyone that looks after you that you want to give a nod to. Just, um, yeah, Ben Harris, I'm sure he'll probably have a, a listen to this, but yeah, he's, he's, he's going great guns and it's just nice to have someone else to share coaching stuff and yeah, and being able to vent, rant or even just chat or just chew the fat with his, yeah, he's, yeah, Ben Harris has, um, yeah. yeah, he's helped me out big time and yeah, he's a great leveler for, just want to bounce a question or an idea off him, he's, yeah, he's, he's quite a level-headed guy. Good guy, good runner, crime fighter. <laughs> Most definitely, yeah. That post of that post that I reposted of his, that beat any of my social media posts since I started. Yeah. He just doubled, yeah, with his crime fighting stuff. But that's a story for when you get Ben on. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it wouldn't be as quite as popular as one other social media post he's got, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that one's going pretty good. The old <laughs> still, <bluff now. laughs> still going. Uh, Mate, it's been a pleasure chatting to you and um, I apologise again that you had to listen to me the whole time and Jim, Jim couldn't oh, make it. Good. But uh, we made a really appreciate you making the time to, to come on and as you said, you, you're coaching full-time now so I've chewed into some of, your, some of your time there. But we will grab all your details and we'll put them up on our show notes and stuff uh, about, about obviously yourself, your socials, but also your coaching and those sort of things. Have you got a, a website? Do you run it all through social media? Yes. Yeah, so it's quite easy. It's Tony Smith runcoaching.com. And yeah, and same with social media. Yep. Just type that into Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, I'll pop up. All right, mate. Well, thank you very much. And we will chat soon. And hopefully you can get over here when all the borders lift and you come around the Gold Coast. Have you run Gold Coast nah. Marathon before? No, nah, it's on the list. And the Gold Coast 50 is yeah. definitely something. Um, yeah, it's on the list. Uh, very good. We well, can't wait to see you over here. Thanks, Tony. Cool. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Cheers mate. mate.